0: Welcome back to another episode of the Nighttime Short Stories podcast with your host, me, Ash Balls. This is a podcast where every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I read a short story or poetry written by an author from long ago or a modern-day author. The author that is read from here is then showcased for the week on the Facebook page by the same name, so you're going to want to follow it. If you're an author and would like your short stories or poetry showcased on the podcast as well as Facebook page for the week, you can get a hold of us in the link in the bio. And that's where you can also find the link to the Facebook page as well. But thank you to everyone who listens from iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and anywhere else you might be listening from. I truly do appreciate it. So let's get started, shall we? This week's author is none other than Washington Irving, who I didn't know anything about prior. I didn't even realize he was the person who wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which I even have the comic book of, and it's really good. As well as the novel written by him is especially good, though I wish it was longer. A little too long to write to read on here, though. So I'm going to read you a story instead about another type of apparition. So let's get started, shall we? The Apparition of Mrs. Veal, Daniel Defoe, 1661 to 1731. The thing is so rare in all its circumstances and on so good authority that my reading and conversation have not given me anything like it. It is fit to gratify The most ingenious and serious inquirer. Mrs. Bargrave is the person to whom Mrs. Veal appeared after her death. She is my intimate friend, and I can vouch for her reputation for these 15 or 16 years. On my own knowledge, and I can confirm the good character she had from her youth to the time of my acquaintance. Though since this relationship, she is culminated by some people that are friends to the brother of Mrs. Veal who appeared. You think the relation of this appearance to be a reflection, and endeavor what they can to blast Mrs. Bargrave's reputation, and to laugh at the story of countenance. But by the circumstances thereof, and the cheerful disposition of Mrs. Bargrave, notwithstanding the ill usage of a very wicked husband, there is not yet the least sign of dejection in her face, nor did I ever hear her let fall. A desponding or murmuring expression, nay, not when actually under a husband's barbarity which I have been witness to, and several other persons of indebted reputation. Now you must know Mrs. Beale was a maiden gentlewoman of about thirty years of age, and for some years past had been troubled with its fits, which were perceived coming on by her going off from her discourse very abruptly to some impertinence she was maintained by an only brother kept his house in dover she was a very pious woman with her brother a very sober man to all appearance now he does all he can to know and quash the story mrs veal was intimately acquainted with mrs bargrave from her childhood mrs veal's circumstances were then mean her father did not take care of his children as he ought so that they were exposed to hardships Mrs. Bargrave, in those days, had it as unkind a of father, though she wanted neither for food nor clothing, while well, Mrs. Veal wanted for both, in so much that she would often say, Mrs. Bargrave, you are not only the best, but the only friend I have in the world. No circumstance of life shall ever dissolve my friendship. They would often console each other from adverse fortunes and read together, dwelling Court upon death and other good books, and so, like two Christian friends, they comforted each other under their sorrow. Sometime after, Mr. Veal's friends got him a place in the custom house at Dover, which occasioned Mrs. Veal by little faith and little to fall off from her intimacy with Mrs. Bargrave. Though there was never any such thing as a quarrel, but an indifference came on by degrees at last Mrs. Bargrave had not seen her in two years and a half. Though above the twelfth month of the time Mrs. Bargrave had been absent from Dover in this last half year has been in Canterbury about two months of the time dwelling in a house of her own. In this house on the 8th of September, 1705, she was sitting alone in the forenoon thinking of her unfortunate life and arguing herself into a due resignation to Providence though her condition seemed hard, and said she, I have been provided for heretofore, and doubt not, but I shall be still, and am well satisfied, that my affliction shall end when it is most fit for me. And then took up her sewing work, which she had no sooner done, but she hears a knocking at the door. She went to see who was there, and proved to be Mrs. Veal, her old friend, who was in a riding habit. At that moment of time, the clock struck twelve noon, "'Madam,' said Mrs. Bargrave, "'I'm surprised to see you. "'You've been so long a stranger,' but told her she was glad to see her "'and offered to salute her, which Mrs. Veal complied with till her lips "'almost touched, and then Mrs. Veal drew her hand across her own eyes "'and said, "'I'm not very well,' and so waved it. "'She told Mrs. Bargrave she was going a journey "'and had a great mind to see her first. But, says Mrs Bargrave, how can you take a journey alone? I am amazed at it, because I know you have a fond brother. Oh, says Mrs Veal, I gave my brother the slip and came away, because I had so great a desire to see you before I took my journey. So Mrs Bargrave went in with her to another room within the first, and Mrs Veal sat down in an elbow chair in which Mrs Bargrave was sitting, when she heard Mrs Veal knock. Then, says Mrs. Veal, my dear friend, I have come to renew our old friendship again and beg your pardon for my breach of it. And if you can forgive me, you are the best of women. Oh, says Mrs. Bargrave, do not mention such a thing. I have not had an uneasy thought about it. What did you think of me, said Mrs. Veal? Says Mrs. Bargrave, I thought you were like the rest of the world and that prosperity had made you forget yourself and me. Then Mrs. Veal reminded Mrs. Bargrave of the many friends the friendly offices she had in her former days and much of the conversation they had with each other in the times of their adversity what the books they read and the comfort in particular they received from drilling Court's book of death which was the best she said on the subject ever wrote she also mentioned dr sherlock and two dutch books which were translated wrote upon her death and several others but drilling Court, she said had the clearest notions of death in the future state of any who had handled any subject Then she said, Mrs. Bargrave, whether she had dwelling court, she said, yes, says Mrs. Veal, fetch it. And so Mrs. Bargrave goes upstairs and brings it down. Says Mrs. Veal, dear Mrs. Bargrave, if the eyes of our faith were as open as the eyes of our body, we should see numbers of angels about us for our guard. The notions we have of heaven now are nothing like what it is. And Drilling Court says, therefore, be comforted under your afflictions and believe that the Almighty has a particular regard for you and that your afflictions are marks of the Almighty of the God's favor. And when they have done the business they are sent for, they shall be removed from you. And believe me, my dear friend, believe what I say to you. One minute of future happiness and will infinitely reward you for all your sufferings. For I can never believe And claps her hands upon her knees With great earnestness Which indeed ran through most of her discourse That ever God will suffer you To spend all your days in this afflicted state But be assured that your affliction Shall leave you Or you them in a short time She spake in the pathetical and heavenly manner Mrs. Bargrave wept Several times when she is so deeply affected with it Then Mrs. Veal Mentioned Dr kendrick's aesthetic at the end of which he gives an account of the lives of the primitive christians their pattern she recommended to our imitation instead this conversation was not like this of our age for now she says there is nothing but vain frothy discourse which is far different from theirs theirs was to edification and to build another one up to faith so that they were not as we are nor are we as they are but said she we ought to do as they did there was a hearty friendship among them but where is it now to be found said mrs bargrave it is hard indeed to find a true friend these days says mrs veal mr norris has a fine copy of verses called friendship of perfection which i wonderfully admire have you seen the book mrs veal says no says mrs bargrave but i give the verses of my own writing out have you says mrs veal then fetch them "'which she did from above the stairs "'and offered them to Mrs. Veal to read, "'who refused and waved the thing, "'saying holding down her head would make it ache, "'and then desiring Mrs. Bargrave to read them to her, "'which she did, as they were admiring friendship. "'Mrs. Veal said, "'Dear Mrs. Bargrave, I shall love you forever. "'In these years there is twice used the word Elysian. "'Ah,' said Mrs. Veal, "'these poets have such names for heaven.' "'She would often draw her hand across her own eyes.' and say, Mrs. Bargrave, do not think I am mighty impaired by my fits. No, says Mrs. Bargrave, I think you look as well as I ever knew you. After this discourse, which the apparition put in forth much finer words than Mrs. Bargrave said she could pretend to, and is much more than she could remember, for it cannot be thought that an hour and three quarters conversation could all be retained. Though the main of it thinks she does. So she said to Mrs. Bargrave she would have her write a letter to her brother and tell him she would have his rings to such and such, and that there was a purse of gold in her cabinet that she would have two broad pieces given to her cousin Watson. Talking at this rate, Mrs. Bargrave thought that a fit was coming upon her, and so placed herself on a chair just before her knees to keep her from falling to the ground. If her fits should occasion it for the elbow chair, she thought, would keep her from falling on either side, and to divert Mrs. Veal, as she thought, took hold of her gown sleeve several times and commended it. Mrs. Veal told her it was a scoured silk and newly made up. But for all this, Mrs. Veal persisted in her request and told Mrs. Bargrave she must not deny her. And she would have her tell her brother all their conversations when she had the opportunity. Dear Mrs. Veal, says Mrs. Bargrave, this seems so important that I cannot tell you how to comply with it. And what is a mortifying story, will our conversation be to a young gentleman? Why, says Mrs. Bargrave, "'It is much better, methink, think, to do it yourself.' "'No,' says Mrs. Veal. "'Though it seems impertinent to you now, "'you will see more reason for it hereafter.' Mrs. Bargrave, then, to satisfy her opportunity, was going to fetch a pen and ink. Mrs. Veal said, "'Let it alone now, but do it when I'm gone, "'but you must be sure to do it,' And "'when it was one of the last things she enjoyed at her parting, "'and so she promised.' When Mrs. Veal asked for Mrs. Bargrave's daughter, she said she was not at all at home. But if you have a mind to see her, says Mrs. Bargrave, I'll see it sent for her. Do, said Mrs. Veal, on which she left her and went to the neighbors to see her. And by the time Mrs. Bargrave was returning, Mrs. Veal was got without the door in the street in the face of the best market on a Saturday, which is market day, and stood ready to part as soon as Mrs. Bargrave came to her. She asked her why she was in such haste. She said she must be going though perhaps she might not go her journey till Monday, and told Mrs. Bargrave she hoped she would see her again at her cousin Watson before she went with her where she was going. Then she said she would take her leave of her and walk from Mrs. Bargrave in her view till a turning interrupted the sight of her, which was three quarters after one in the afternoon. You are listening to the Nighttime Short Stories podcast, where we read a new short story from long ago to modern day authors every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to check out the Facebook page under the same name. There's a link in the bio for daily information, photos, facts, quotes, and bios on the authors showcased for the week. If you know of anyone that you think would enjoy the podcast as well, please be sure to share it out. And again, thank you for listening. Mrs. Veal died on the 7th of September at 12 o'clock at noon of her fifth and had not above four hours since this before death in which time she received the sacrament. The next day after Mrs. Veal's appearance being Sunday, Mrs. Bargrave was mightily indisposed with a cold and a sore throat and that she could not go out on that day. But on Monday morning, she sent a person to Captain Watson's to know if Mrs. Veal was there. They wondered at Mrs. Bargrave's inquiry and sent her word that she was not there, nor was expected. At this answer, Mrs. Bargrave told the maid she had certainly mistook the name or made some blunder, though she was ill, and she put her hood and went herself to Captain Watson's, though she knew none of the family to see if Mrs. Veal was there or not. They said they wondered at her asking, for she had not been in town. They were sure if she had, she would have been there, said Mrs. Bargrave. I'm sure she was with me on Saturday for almost two hours. And they said it was impossible, for they must have seen her. She had, in comes Captain Watson, while they were in dispute. And so that Mrs. Veal was certainly dead, and the executions were making. This strangely surprised Mrs. Bargrave when she went when she sent to the person immediately who had the care of them and found it true then she related the whole story to captain watson's family and what groan she had and how stripped and that mrs veal's told her that it was scoured mrs watson cried out you've seen her indeed for none knew but mrs veal and myself that the gown was scoured mrs watson opened owned that she described the gown exactly for said she had helped her make it up This Mrs. Watson blazed all about the town and vouched for the demonstration of truth of Mrs. Bargrave seeing Mrs. Veal's apparition, and Captain Watson carried two gentlemen immediately to Mrs. Bargrave's house to hear the relation from her own mouth, and when it spread so fast that the gentlemen upon her, a quality and judicious, skeptical part of the world, focused on persons of quality and at last became such a task that she was forced to go out of the way for they were in general extremely satisfied with the truth of the thing and plainly saw that mrs bargrave was no hypochondriac for she always appears with such a cheerful air and pleasing mien that she has gained favor and esteem of all the gentry and is thought a great favor if they can get to the relation from her own mouth I should have told you before that Mrs. Veal told Mrs. Bargrave that her sister and brother-in-law had just come down from London to see her. Says Mrs. Bargrave, how came you to order such matters so strangely? It cannot be helped, said Mrs. Veal. And her brother and sister did come to see her and entered the town at Dover just as Mrs. Veal was expiring. Mrs. Bargrave asked her whether she would drink some tea. Says Mrs. Veal, I do not care if I do, but I'll warrant you this, mad fellow. Meaning Mrs. Bargrave's husband has broke all your trinkets but says mrs bargrave i'll get something to drink in for all that but mrs veal waved it and said it's no matter let it alone and so it passed all the time i sat with mrs bargrave which was some hours she recollected fresh things of mrs veal and one material thing more she told mr mrs bargrave the old mr breton allowed mrs veal 10 pounds a year which was the secret and unknown to mrs bargrave till mrs veal told her Mrs. Bargrave never varies in her story, which puzzles those who doubt of the truth or are willing to believe it. A servant in the neighbor's yard adjoining to Mrs. Bargrave's house heard her talking to somebody in an hour of time. Mrs. Veal was with her. Mrs. Bargrave went out to her next neighbor's the very moment she parted with Mrs. Veal and told her what ravishing conversation she had with an old friend and told the whole of it. Dwelling Court's Book of Death. It since this happened, brought up strangely, and it is to be observed that notwithstanding all the trouble and fatigue Mrs. Bargrave has undergone upon this account, she never took the value of a farthing nor suffered her daughter to take anything from anybody and therefore can have no interest in telling the story. But Mrs. Veal does what he can, Mr. Veal does what he can to stifle the matter and said you could see that Mrs. Bargrave, yet it is a certain matter of fact, that he has been Captain Watson's Since the birth of his sister, and yet never went near Mrs. Bargrave, and some of his friends report her to be a liar. She knew of Mrs. Breton's ten pounds a year, but the person who pretends to say so has a reputation of a notorious liar among persons whom I know would be undoubted credit. Now, Mr. Veal is more a gentleman to say she lies and says a bad husband has crazed her, but she needs only present herself and it will effectually confute that pretense. Mr. Veal says he asked his sister on her deathbed, "'whether she had mind to dispose of anything, and she said no. "'Now the things which Mrs. Veal's apparition would have disposed of "'were still trifling, and nothing of justice aimed at the disposal. "'The design of it appears to be only made up by Mrs. Bargrave, "'satisfied the word of the reality thereof "'as to what she has seen and heard, "'and to secure her reputation among the reasonable "'and understanding part of mankind.' And then again, Mr. Veal owns that there is a purse of gold, but it was not found in her cabinet, but in a comb box. This looks improbable for that Miss Watson owned that Mrs. Veal so very careful of the key of the cabinet that she would trust nobody with it. And if so, no doubt she would not trust her gold out of it. And Mr. Veal's often drawing her hands over her eyes and asking Mrs. Bargrave, Whether her fits had not impaired her looks to me as if she did it on purpose to remind Mrs. Bargrave of her fits, to prepare her not to think of it so strange that she should put upon her writing to her brother to dispose of rings and gold, which looks so much like a dying person's request. And it took upon accordingly with Mrs. Bargrave as the effect of her fits coming upon her and was one of many instances of her wonderful love to her and care for her that she should not be affrighted which indeed appears to her whole management, particularly in her coming to her in the daytime, waving the salutation when she was alone, and then the manner of her parting to prevent a second attempt to salute her. You now, why Mr. Veal should think this relationship a reflection, as it is plain as he does by his endeavoring to stifle it, I cannot imagine, because the generality believe... Her to be of a good spirit. Her discourse was so heavenly. Her two great errands were to comfort Mrs. Bargrave in her affliction and ask for her forgiveness for all her breach of friendship, and with a pious discourse to encourage her. So that, after all, to suppose that Mr. Bargrave could hatch such an invention as this from Friday noon to Saturday noon, supposing that she knew of Mrs. Veal's death. The very first moment with the jumping circumstances and without any interest, too, she must be more witty, fortunate and wicked, too, than any indifferent person I dare say will allow. I asked Mrs. Bargrave several times if she was sure she felt the gown. She answered modestly, if my senses to be relied upon, I'm sure of it. I asked her if she heard a sound when she clapped her hand upon her knee. She said she did not remember. She did, but... She appeared to be as much a substance as I did who talked with her, and I may she said be as soon persuaded by your apparition in talking to me now that I did not really see for her, for I was under no manner of fear and received her as a friend and parted with her as such. I would not said she give one farthing to make any one believe it. I have no interest in it, nothing but trouble is entailed upon me for a long time for aught I know, and now she says she will make it her own private use of it and keep herself out of the way as much as she can, and so she has done since. She says she had a gentleman who came 30 miles to see her, hear the relation, and that she had told it to a room full of people at the time. Several particular gentlemen have had the story from Mrs. Bargrave's own mouth. The thing has very much affected me, as I am well satisfied, and as I am the best matter of matter of fact, and why we should dispute matter-of-fact because we cannot solve things of which we can have no certain or demonstrative notions seems strange to me. Mrs. Bargrave's authority and sincerity alone would have been undoubted in any case. The end. Until next time. You have been listening to the Nighttime Short Stories Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and come back every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new Author of the Week. Thank you for listening. Until next time.